Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, joined alongside, as I am every week, by media executive Grail Hallett and OTB producer Sam Griswold. Well, you know what? I'm exhausted. I'm on the East Coast, Over the Ball being recorded uh, in New York City in a hotel room this weekend. And guys, I got to tell you, I had to stay up till 1030 last night. Uh, if I was back in L.A. in my little my little nest, I would have been in the 730, no problem. Uh, and been in bed, but my God, what a roller coaster ride. The USA recovered from an absolutely abysmal first half performance with a big second time half to grab a breathtaking 4 1 road win. Uh, a win that will also be remembered as one of the greatest U.S. national team debuts in history. 18 year old Ricardo Pepe scored uh, the go ahead goal and uh, helped create uh, the other three. I think he was involved in all three of the plays. Mm-hmm. Um, other three goals and the U.S. secures a much needed three points. So, uh, guys, man, this uh, this qualifying round has taken dog years off my life. Uh, <laughs> people thought that we were the greatest team since sliced bread after our summer of winning those two tournaments. And then all of a sudden, boy, what a difference two games make to call for uh, Burhalter's head at the end of that first half last night. I was calling for Burhalter's head. Oh, my God, what a horrible performance. <laughs> But we got through. So let's talk about it, guys. Uh, our guest today on Over the Ball, we're going to have uh, be in sports, Eric Krakauer. Eric is uh, just a, a great guy, an old friend of the show, and um, covering league Goon. So we'll get caught up on some of the, um, you know, the machinations of Messi. But today, guys, it's, uh, it's U.S. soccer. They secured five points. And, uh, boy, things are looking a little better today than they were. But we got to there was definitely some warning signs there. It was uh, it was pretty scary. So before we get going on that, what are you over today on over the ball, uh, Sam? Yeah, I'm over how hard it is to find these U.S. qualifiers on television here. Uh, <laughs> Every game the, is different. The Canada game on Sunday, I had to watch on uh, Telemundo. I was at a friend's apartment um, up in Boston. Was not able to find it anywhere else. Uh, and then last night for the Honduras game which was only on Paramount Plus in English. Um, I, again, was watching on Telemundo. I have absolutely no problem with the Telemundo broadcast, but um, I I think it should be available easily and widely for uh, the English-speaking audience, too. Uh, I had friends of mine texting me, as I've said before, where everything that happens in the soccer world is somehow my fault, you know, asking me, how do I find this game? This is ridiculous. Um, And, you know, I'm someone, I have a basic cable package plus the sports add-on, and a couple streaming services, and yet somehow I'm not I'm not able to find this game. I I, I don't know. It just seems like a big opportunity right. wasted. Well, now I think you're, you're talking two different things. One, it's uh, first of all, Soccer America, one of our sponsors, always has the TV listings in there. That's how I check out where the games are, uh, how and why. But look, you've got these these qualifying games. It seems like there's different Paramount Plus. You have Telemundo. You have ESPN, FS1, Fox, CBS Sports. So I got a few calls yesterday as well. It's uh, funny you that yeah you're the soccer person, so they all call you with the, and they want your head because they can't find the game. Um, but all these different streaming services, Grail, that kind of goes well, into your world. Yeah, I mean, welcome to the world of rights. You know, everybody has different rights. Everything gets sliced and diced, and every one of those deals represents revenue that goes back to the organizing body. And so they will slice and dice this thing. They will take a loaf of bread and slice it into 98 pieces. Trust me. Because they're getting revenue. uh, You a soccer fan. Yeah, Uh, I know it is. But uh, unfortunately, they don't care. 
15 different channels and yeah, streaming services these right. games are spread across so well you know this is part of the problem i thought like you know when i watched nfl football growing up as a kid you always watch the same guys same studio show same channel every week uh you know uh, or basketball tnt you, you find a destination and we just do not have that with soccer yeah i think you know, you know it lags on that and i think all the broadcasters see the the value in it and the growth that's the thing in. I mean, yeah, should, so, it speaks to the demand of the property is people want a piece of it. But unfortunately for the viewer, it makes it incredibly difficult. Well, I just think it's annoying now that soccer sort of come of age here in the States. We've got some good stuff to watch. Uh, it's it's coupled with the same time that uh, streaming services have come out. So it's yeah. it is frustrating. So what are you over, Grail? So I'm, I'm actually over. Team. I'm, I'm already over what I was over. If you can follow that train of thought. So what I what I was over was making it was just I'm so exhausted by people making excuses when you don't get it done. And I just thought after the first game, you know, um, against El Salvador, Burhalter was blaming the pitch. He was blaming this. He was blaming that. I thought he was going to blame the constellations in the sky, whatever. Then in the second game. Aronson at the end of the match complained about Canada's setup and how difficult it was to play against it and how that's somehow not fair to do that kind of thing. I, so I'm over it because what I saw last night was a team in the second half actually step up and perform. So hopefully the excuses are just a thing of the past. Look, Canada and, and El Salvador countered on the U S pretty well and Canada had five in the back and they did park the bus a bit. And then, you know, they have so much speed on the wings that uh, they were really dangerous on the counter. And that's what cost the U.S. But it is frustrating to sort of just guys pack it in there. But also, like, I did see, like, you know, boy, Josh Sargent was way off last night. And, Terrible. you know, the Awful other players, Moa Do and everybody were talking about the field conditions and things. And I think that's a factor. But I think uh, Sands and Josh Sargent looked like they were playing in sand last night. They just <laughs> were so slow. They were not up for it. So, um but boy, God, that first half uh, was just the worst first half. Uh, the worst ha bit of soccer I've seen from U.S. national team for as long as I can remember. We got uh, taken apart. I mean, we got taken. It was really, it was very fortunate that we were only down one nil because it easily could have been three nil. I mean, we created almost no. Chances. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. But um, I think they each had their chances. But I think they uh, they, they looked abysmal coming out of the back. Terrible. Uh, you know, couldn't couldn't that big gap between the back and the four and, and the midfield? Yeah, Brooks's just, passing was off as well. I mean, in addition to other people kind of having an off night, I thought he had kind of an off night too. Just his passes weren't getting to people. Brooks looked yeah. lethargic. He also got beat. Uh, what in Canada? He got beat here. Mm -hmm. uh, got in Honduras last night. Jogging back at times as a central defender. Um, after a giveaway, it, it was, it's unforgivable. And, you know, a lot of the guys were talking, uh, Stu Holden and a few others have posted, you know, going into this tournament, he was seen as who was going to pair up with John Brooks. Now, uh, I don't know. He's, he's moving down on the depth chart. I don't, I don't even think he's on the pitch. Well, uh, after, you know, after the last game, I was pleading for, to anybody who would listen that Burhalter would give Pepe a shot and, and good for Burhalter to do it because in the second half he was rewarded. And, Did he have and a choice, may, Sam? May, I'm, I'm not willing to, you know, put him up on the Mount Rushmore of uh, soccer no, no. here, but is maybe he's the number nine. I'll tell you what, that header he scored was a number nine goal. That was yeah. a fantastic header. I just felt like, uh, you know, the expectations were too high on the kid last night. I mean, he came through to say the least, but people just saying he's, uh, you know, 
he's going to be our savior. Uh, I was like, well, that's a little overblown. And, and yes, he was our savior last night. Whether he has uh, some longevity we, remains to be seen, but it certainly was a great start. Sam, what were your thoughts on the game? Uh, yeah, well, I was I was interested to see that he switched to a back three, kind of a mm-hmm. sort of three, five, two, three, four, three, however you want to kind of shake it down. Um, yeah. Obviously, the defensive performance was really bad. Horrible coming out of the back in the Terrible. first half. No one knew yeah. what to do with it and where to go with it. So I, I just didn't feel like the game plan really matched up with the formation change. I think if you're going to play with, you know, two wide backs, who's Adam and uh, uh, DiBello or Bello on the other side. Yeah, but it just didn't seem like they really tried to play down the flanks very often. And I understand that approach, but it seemed like they were still trying to jam it down the middle and just not really right. getting anywhere with it. And then, boy, when, um, you know, Honduras was able to counter, there were just huge gaps there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I like the flexibility, trying a new look, but. I mean, it was more than just a, a tactical issue. Clearly, in this game, there were just guys that were way, way off the pace. But they were, yeah, they were I, shaking their heads and pointing. Well, and, and 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 definitely, I mean, no doubt. I, again, not making excuses because I just ranted about that, but definitely missed Dest and and definitely missed McKinney. I mean, to yeah, and, and a liability, you know, Dest at times a liability defensively, especially against yeah. Canada. Um, and boy, the injuries that these that this team has had. Lissick uh, again. Yeah, he's he's a bit of a China doll. Um, he gets hurt a lot. He was getting and, waxed. He plays he was well. Get, he gets hit. Just let me finish. He he gets you know knocked off the ball quite a bit, um, but he he gets hurt. He takes his lumps and well, he doesn't take his lumps. He gets hurt, um, and that was that was sad to see last night, especially on the heels of Gio Reyna, you know, Sergino Dest, uh, uh, Wea. So so many injuries they're battling. These guys never get to play together. I, I did like it. There, to me, it really stood out that Pulisic was getting the ball facing the goal so much more mm-hmm. often last night. And he's just so much more dangerous that way. He was going at guys. They were having the foul. And, you know, even if he didn't make the final pass, he was getting he was getting fouled and creating some havoc. So I thought that was definitely a step up in terms of his performance. I like when he's out wide and he cuts in, yes. gets a shot off or creates some some trouble at the top of the box. Uh, you know, he's not playing his best either right now. So um, you he know, looks I, very I frustrated. I mean, do you guys agree? Just like we all played body language is very telling. Like we can see it because we we play the game. He looks just so frustrated. Again, he's used yeah. to playing with guys that are a lot better. Well, I don't. Yeah, no, I think the frustration just comes with uh, just how the, the results have been for the United States. So, yeah. but to, there's been some interesting things. Though. I think Matt keep uh, Matt Turner. I think is is the number one keeper. It's his position to lose. Um, he started the really the only uh, breakaway that they had in the first half with uh, some nice distribution. The, you know, the sort of a half field pass there. They he. he get it out and they were on the break um but he's a he makes saves he's yeah. he made a couple of saves last night he uh, did well it was funny so, he and, you know yeah he looked a little more indecisive to me last night to be for some reason with his footwork I, again i thought like you guys were saying in the first half we were getting trapped in the back we were getting right. we were knocking the ball back to him under pressure and then he was having to just bang the ball up it was uh it was not smooth in that first half. well put it this way uh, if zach stefan was there with the yeah. ball being played to his feet, with the inability to come out of the back as they struggled last night, with the Brooks and you know they were struggling coming out of the back, I think we would have been would have given away a goal uh, there because the pressure was high and they couldn't figure out how to break. 
So, uh, and you know, like, again, to go back to John Brooks, it's a, that's a struggle. That's something's going on. He's not motivated or tired or something. Miles Robinson and Mark McKenzie both stepped up and played well. Tyler Adams uh, is a stud. The guy yeah. is, uh, is a hell of a player, great athlete, man, just all over the field. Um, so I thought he, it, things moved much better when he moved to the center of the park. Yeah. Um, you know, so sort of that holding midfielder position. So, uh, I, I think that's where he'll be from now on. I, I understand why Burhalter did what he did, but um, you know it, it didn't work in that formation. Uh, Kellen Acosta, I think, struggled a little bit early, but he he does a lot of the the things that aren't rewarded, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's played himself into a you know a, a good either a starting role or perhaps a you know good chunk of time each each week. Yeah, and Legette, I think, is like consistently good when he plays. Overall, right. I, I I felt like when he came on, he obviously he scored, but he's uh, I, I think he's a good consistent performer. He has been, and he's helped yeah. him really well in qualifying. Legette and Roldan came in last night and really made a difference in the midfield. They were positive. They took guys on. They won balls. It was uh, it was a big difference right away. And Brendan Aronson, I think he matured a little bit over this uh, this qualifying round. But I think like so, guys, what do you think the end result is here? Do you think this is um, so, uh, you know just the is, end result is relief? It's I know just, relief, but there were problems that were addressed. I, I agree, Flinny, but you can address them now without just the absolute panic that would have surrounded a, uh, a worse result, which I just think it makes it, uh, I think it makes it a lot easier um, to do it because if they had drawn or got even worse lost, um, I mean, honestly, you know, Burr job would have been on the line. So I think it takes the pressure off that. Some say it would have been online. Some say it wouldn't have. I, I think it, it would certainly have to be in question. Uh, and yeah. last night, I'm telling you, at halftime, I'm like, can they hold on for a tie is what I was thinking. Yes. I mean, my God, and trying to do the math with only three points out of three games in this yeah. first qualifying round before they come back in October. It was really abysmal. Um, I do not think they're going back, you know, with four in the back. I think that's 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 what you, you got to get through qualifying. And you just don't have enough time. European players aren't aren't match fit yet completely they're not in the middle of their season so uh scary scary shit and i would yeah and and peppy's earned his you know you put him back up top until he until he doesn't you know i mean again i'm not expecting two goals uh, Peafuck had that goal and he was the starter the next game yeah and then didn't do anything so he got pulled and so i think you know saying he finally gave peppy a chance um it was basically he's given everybody a chance and i think one person who didn't really serve himself well at all is Josh Sargent. He no. looked so slow. Uh, Sands and Sargent looked just at another oh, speed. It's, Sands looked know. overmatched. It was weird because we'd seen him be so good over the summer and it was like he was a different player out there. He was just, I don't know if he was overwhelmed by the moment. I don't know what it was. Well, here's here's the thing I'm thinking. Sam, I don't know if you agree with this, but the formations that are played, like if you look when, when Aronson was playing inside against Canada, he had a nightmare until he got moved to the outside. Mm-hmm. Sands was a nice distributing midfielder when he got some time earlier in the, in the tourneys uh, last night, because of that big gap between the back three and the midfield and the inability to sort of string passes together and find, you know, passing lanes. Maybe it was a product of that more than anything else, because he, he looked, you know, way out of sorts last night as well. Yeah. I, I think the U S just in general has a problem with, a player in the middle who is able to hold the ball and mm-hmm. really bring it forward and distribute it. I mean, Adams is a 
good player distributing is a very good defensive player but he's best when he's you know facing the other mm -hmm. team's goal uh, and he's right. playing straight up and he's very good at that but i don't see him as being a guy who can receive a pass from the back line turn with it maybe take someone out of the game and start an attack and i feel like we kind of hope weston mckenney might be that guy <laughs> yeah, obviously that wasn't name. obviously wasn't at this game um or the canada game but you know, yeah. even in the game against El Salvador, he didn't, it felt like he got a little frustrated himself trying to do that and ended up just kind of chasing down, you know, long balls down the sideline. So, yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think it's more like we've talked to Seamus Mellon. We've talked to other people who've, who've made that remark about how we just don't have someone who kind of can control the tempo and sort of dictate the pace of a game. It could be a Michael uh, Bradley role, I guess, right? The, the sort mm -hmm. of move yeah. way back, you know, grab the ball and, and hit uh, penetrating passes, you know, the playmaker kind of guy. We don't really right. have that guy. I, I'm, I'm yeah. still not sold on Aronson. Uh, you know, maybe, I mean, he scored, which was great, but I just feel like it reminds me of guys I played with in college. He just like ran all over the place. And I'm like, where are you going? What are you doing? Uh, just, I totally he, disagree. Cause yeah, he, I, takes, I don't like he takes players on, he takes players on. And I think that's one thing that was lacking um, and if he's out wide, that's why I think Pulisic should be out wide as well, because they get, the, they receive the ball, they're facing forward. They can take things on and, and uh, make things happen. So, yeah. uh, Sam, you brought up McKinney, uh, all anybody's been talking about leading up to it. Wasn't even the games, wasn't the loss, you know, Berhalter probably get what didn't sit in much of the hot, as much of a hot seat as he should have, because everybody was talking about McKinney and wanted to know what happened. So, um, we've all heard, you know, the rumors and things, but you know, it was like, I swear it's the best is just full disclosure right away. Say what happened. And, you know, otherwise you go into this John Hark situation where it's like, why is he cut? He's the captain. And all anybody does is, is talk about it and starts to fuel like terrible rumors. So looks like he, uh, you know, he beat the, the COVID bubble. Um, even though Sam in Juventus, he had earlier problems. What's the reaction with the Italian press? Yeah, well, people are obviously pointing to that prior uh, infraction in Turin last year, which um, if you remember, I sort of defended him because it, it seemed like a dinner party that, you know, ran a little bit late. And I, I took the stance that, you know, it's kind of good that he's settling in and gelling with his new teammates, because I, I know how hard personally that can be to do um, in a foreign country. Uh, it's all so about I, breaking, breaking bread over there. You got to break some bread. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but this seems like if, you know, what we're hearing is true, um, you know, it's in terms of leaving the bubble and then bringing someone else into the bubble. I mean, I, I think people in, in Italy around Juventus are starting to get a little bit concerned and beyond those sort of off field issues. He's at a real crossroads um, on the field too, because there's a new coach this year at Juve. Max Allegri is back. He has a very specific kind of idea of how he wants to play. And right now it doesn't really make sense where McKenney fits into that. He started the first game of the season as a right, wing forward in a 4-3-3 and played really, really poorly and was taken off at halftime I, I kind of felt for him because it's to me clearly not his role right. um, but he seemed to fit in Pirlo's Juve last year better because he is this guy who can fill in a lot of different roles and Pirlo liked a really fluid team guys moving all around Allegri is much more fixed structured defensive um, and it's, yeah, I don't know. He, he's, at, he's really at a little bit of a crossroads here. And I think he needs to win back trust, not only with his U S teammates and the U S fans, but also, uh, at, at Juve too, with his play. So yeah, we'll it's, it's, if he, if he doesn't get playing time at Juventus, then it's, then it's, you know, trouble. He's not match fit. He's going to come over, come back over and, uh, you know, use these as training sessions as opposed to sort of, you know, maxing out. 
Yeah, and it was, I mean, it's also doubly problematic because he was really kind of establishing, establishing himself as a leader on, on the team. And, you know, he wore the captain's armband. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. like, that's not the guy you want to be like not coming back to the hotel at night. It's, it's, it's really an issue moving forward. So I hope he gets it together because we well, need He's him. obviously an A-dog. He's got a lot of charisma, uh, which obviously works on and off the field. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it was always embarrassing all those Chipotle commercials that were being shown uh, uh, on television, and um, you know, and he wasn't even playing. You know, yeah. talking about the team and how great it is and where we all hang out and all that stuff. And then he's you know he's suspended and on an Alitalia flight heading back to to Italy. So uh, you know, a, a bummer. Uh, but I think you know, for a player like that, you start to get the, the you know cockiness is good as a player. And starting to, in playing in Juventus and coming back here, you're kind of like, you know, you've done it, you've made it. Uh, you're playing in a, in a great European league for a, a legendary club. And I think it sometimes goes to your head. And he's only, what, 23 years old, 24 yeah. years old? So, 23, um, yeah. 23. So, so it's sort of, these are learned, you know, lessons that really need to be learned by some people. And it's usually the charismatic sort of dick swinger that, that uh, has these problems. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I give me confidence all the time over cocky and swagger because cocky and swagger a lot of times doesn't end well. Right. Right. Yeah. And then people are happy when you, with your downfall. Hey, so yeah. uh, one thing that's unfortunate is no VAR, uh, which you think at this level, uh, absurd country's national team, it's ridiculous, uh, whether it's FIFA, who should finance that uh, FIFA, the, the, the country, because we can do it. Canada can do it, but apparently, you know, the other countries can't do it. So, yeah. um, you know, that, that's a problem. Makes no sense. None. And I, I only think it, it, it hurts us because we, you know, as the, uh, the, the gringos to the north, we do not get the calls down south. I'm telling you that, uh, you know, uh, you know, the refereeing, you know, it was always tough on us. And so it's nice to have a VAR. I don't even know. Can you say that? Yeah, can I mean, you, I, no. Can we call ourselves gringos and sure, not piss off anybody PR? I mean, uh, to be fair, uh, I thought they got it all right last night. I was worried on that. Maybe it was not the, maybe it was the second goal trying to think there was one that was close to being offside, but they showed it again and they clearly got it right. So I don't think there were any, any whiffs last night, but I'd like to have VAR as a backup. Right. Well, it's unfortunate they don't have it, but I think, uh, you know, you're, you're talking about some, some very small countries with the poor infrastructure, um, you know, so which has a lot of political machinations all, but I, I guess at the end of the day, it comes down to money. Now thinking about uh, South Central America, the confusion, how about the Brazil, Argentina <laughs> oh game, God. huh? This Unbelievable. This was like something out of a South American comedy. I mean, eight minutes into the game, seven minutes into the game, all these health officials come storming onto the pitch. You know, somebody's making a pass and all of a sudden there are guys in suits on the pitch. They're like, Oh my God, what is it? Is, is the corporate wing of Brazil attacking us? Anyway, yeah, they apparently they had not quarantined four Argentine players who play in the Premier League properly, and they the chose leagues. that moment to decide that there was some breach in protocol. And the, the highlight of it to me was where Messi and Neymar off to the side trying to suppress laughter at the whole scene that was unfolding. Sam, this is, goes back to your earlier point about, you know, your friends call you and and sort of make fun of soccer yeah. uh, with like, what is the story? And it's just like, look, uh, the infrastructure is not there in these other countries. You, you know, you judge it like it's NFL football, you know, with a 50 year history and, uh, 
you know, 72 cameras on the field. It's just not yeah. that way. I also think that this specific international window, this is something of this nature felt almost inevitable just with how crazy it is. Everyone jumping around all the complaints from the leagues, federations, FIFA, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, to, you know, to me, it's a, it's symbolic of how the, the moment right now in terms of all those relations. And, and Brazil's yeah. federation could have nipped this in the bud like two days before, but I mean, call me cynical, but the fact that they pulled this on Argentina and, you know, created this embarrassing situation actually just embarrassed them and it embarrassed FIFA. And now FIFA, of course, is blaming uh ball and they're going to conduct an investigation. FIFA may be, may actually have a hand in this thing. So God knows. Uh, that seems it seems petty and it seemed uh, vindictive a little bit and just sort of staged. Uh, it was ridiculous. I was waiting so for the military to come marching on. The field, God, we don't want those days. But, you know, it's it's we're living in a covid world. So uh, yep. I, I want to talk about quickly before we get to Eric Krakauer from being sports, our buddy. Um, what's it just to, talk about Canada a little bit because there's been a resurgence there. I mean, they're, they're a good team. I mean, look, we looked past them for years and years, but they're tough. They did yeah. pack the back there and, uh, and sort of parked the bus and, and tried to counter with Davies, who was a, a stud, probably the, the, the best player in this region. Um, I mean, he torched Yedlin. Uh, Yedlin, of course, got, was out of position as, yeah. as he has been known to do. And I think, again, we've talked about it on this show, you know, defending in the back, you know, it's all about angles and, and your positioning. And I think a player like Yedlin, who is so fast, he can be out of position and still recover. But when he's, when Davies is on the ball, he didn't have a chance, man. Yeah. Davies to me was just so clearly the best and most dangerous player on that pitch, you know, but again, he, again, he did it the last yeah. time as well. I mean, he's just so he's he's really just a lot more polished than anybody else out there. And, you know, it doesn't hurt playing for Bayern Munich. But, uh, yeah, all he needs is one or two little openings and he kills you. I would say, you know, I would say he's polished. Uh, I wouldn't say more polished than than a Dest or, or uh, well, Pulisic. I, 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 I think the Dest. Yep. But uh, I said the point is he's also got the speed. I mean, an incredible a set of wheels on him. So uh, Laren finished that goal and the Kyle Laren in the 61st minute and uh, it didn't look good. You know, 43,000 fans uh, booze at the end and yeah. probably a little bit deservedly. So I think people were still in shock with the whole McKenney thing because we were still sort of uh, depending on him for playing some really great games, him and Acosta really short up the midfields, uh, you know, this whole summer. And then to to not have them, um, so I, I, you know, it was. I, I, I always say they they charge so much for some of those tickets. They, they, we need a full house for these USA games, and I don't know if it's cost prohibitive or what. But uh, three thousand is a good good house. Yeah, but what is it? It's a fifty-two. I think was the yeah. max, and, and it's pretty close to sold. I don't know. Sold you, out. I, I don't know if you heard Alexi's comments after the Canada match, but I I was right with him. You know, he was just like, it's not good enough. It's uh, we can't keep making excuses and uh, and hey, look, something happened, something clicked in that second half last night, and thank goodness because at least we're back in a, a stable position now. Well, I felt basically like 
that neg- uh, dark Klinsman era where he had, was trying different systems with different players, putting players at a position and different positions, something they weren't con- comfortable with the system or the or where they were playing within that system. So that's what I saw in the first half last night. And I was like, holy shit, we're here again. My God, these dark days. Das ist no gut. Yeah. And, uh, and they, they did save themselves. But I tell you what, they've got some work to do. These guys have got to uh, play themselves all into shape mid-match fitness, uh, mid-season fitness. And so when they come back in October, man, uh, we don't know what to expect. Yeah, we also didn't get it to Pepe in the first half. I mean, he had one half chance off a sergeant header, but besides that, he really didn't see the ball. And then once, you know, maybe um, Honduras was just, you know, a little gassed in the second half, but things started opening up. And again, I just love the runs he makes. We haven't been seeing that from these other trial number nines that we've had out there. He's big and tall, and uh, he's skillful. He also got some fight in him. Yes. He played pretty well with his back to the net, which has been the criticism of him where he could have, you know, that's where he needs to develop a little bit more. And I think that's completely understandable for a player that young. Yeah. Um, you know, I saw a tweet by Steve Davies. He was basically saying, you know, he doesn't even have his his man muscle yet. You know, he's still a young kid. Mm-hmm. So he's still developing and, uh, you know, the ability to hold off players and be strong on the ball. And But he's got a lot of fight. Yes, uh, which is half the battle, and that creates uh, opportunities. So, uh, so that was really good to see. I, I just felt like Josh Sargent is so plodding as he shows Ugh. back to the ball, and then he was giving away through, uh, you know, uh, square balls, and you know, people they were getting intercepted. Couldn't hold the ball. He just couldn't hold it. And then when he right. was knocking it off, he was like knocking it off to the opponent. Right. So bad passes. So yeah. So hopefully he can recover, but I think he's got to go back to Norwich to sort of uh, find his way. That's where he yeah. is, right? Yeah, he's in Norwich. Yeah, yeah so. exactly. So um, I want to I wanted to back up just a little bit to the Canada yeah. game. I, I was curious after the game to look at the Canadian press and get their reaction to everything. Yeah. Um, and it was pretty interesting. I think. I mean, first of all, people are really high on this Canada team and mm-hmm. really feel like they should uh, qualify for the World Cup, which mm-hmm. is much different to my experience with uh, Canadian soccer. Maybe you guys remember when it was good. Um, and the other thing was that, yeah. you know, the coach and a lot of the players and a lot of the pundits, you know, really looked at the game against the U S as a wasted opportunity um, considering the chances they had at the end of the game and that they came away from it feeling like they should have won, which right. I think on paper is maybe a little exaggerated, but when you, saw the game and saw the chances you could you could sort of understand that so i don't know i want to get yeah. your mistake well i mean we had more well, we had a lot more possession but they had better chances so i mean that that's the we always talk about possession right how misleading that can be you know give me five solid chances versus 75 percent possession any day of the week and uh i thought th- i thought one one was honestly a fair result at the end of the day I mean, you know, like Gooch, Gooch was saying last night, uh, you know, in the Paramount studio that that defensively, who are we? What is what is the back four there? Mm-hmm. Even if we agree on that, that we're going to play a back four, who are they? And we don't know yet. And I tell yeah. you what, um, you know, you're, def- you're, you're you know, the, the guy up front shown for the ball is always a wild card. You're just hoping he's making good runs and things. But the guys in the back have to know each other uh, and be predictable. Um, you know, so I think a Tim Ream, uh, a Zimmerman, um, you know, uh, the guys played well last night, but we have to come up with a back four. It's defensively um, that we had a, we had a problem against Canada. And that's again, yeah. getting countered on, you know, El Salvador yeah. and, and Canada and then Honduras looked, looked dangerous at times last night. So it's, it's all about uh, the consistency of the back four. So. Yeah. Um, and those you know, top uh, teams, obviously, I mean, again, I'm not comparing us to, 
England or Italy or some of those teams who's on the Euros, but their back fours were just uh, the top teams rock solid. Hey, so um, we're going to get to uh, Eric Krakauer in a little bit. So it, it's uh, it'll be interesting. He's he's covering League One now for mm-hmm. for being sports and a few you know a few personnel changes, and one of which is of course the big messy move to uh, to France. So uh, we'll talk to Eric about that. That should uh, be interesting. He's he's covering those games and also Ronaldo's move back to Man United. So that should be uh, fun to watch. I was yeah, so they both go to the Premier League, so we'd watch them every Saturday and Sunday morning, but apparently not. Yeah, so that's this Saturday, actually, the Ronaldo return to Old Trafford after 12 years. But uh, with the little wrinkle, it will not be on live TV in the UK because they have a policy that the three, three o'clock match, going back to the 60s, yeah. cannot be televised live because they didn't want to um, affect attendance. And so that game will not be, well, I think we're, Why we're going to just, just wave that move, uh, affect attendance. Because, it's ridiculous. Because, All these archaic moves. It's like the old blue Brits. laws here in the States. Brits. <laughs> the Brits and they change slowly. They, don't change, so. they will not change this law. They should change it though. I mean, could get a great Are you a league watcher, Sam? No, I, I don't have B in sports. Yeah, well, this uh, is, goes back to our tea. It's a great way to tee up the crack hour. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. You got another service you got to buy, uh, and it's a it's a good one. So, all right, let's take a break here. Uh, we come back, Eric Krakow from Beating Sports. You're listening to Over the Ball. All right, joining us now on Over the Ball, an old friend of the podcast. He's the uh, play-by-play uh, analyst, commentator at Beating Sports, Eric Krakauer. Crack, welcome back to OTB. How are you, man? Uh, good, good. Thanks for having me back. Uh, I'm a little bit better considering there was a, a pretty rampant second half last late oh last night. Oh my god, huh? Tale of two halves, man. That that was the I said at the top of the show, crack. I said that was the worst half of soccer I have ever seen the U.S. men's national team play, and then come out as uh, as they did in the second half. And down there in Honduras, hostile environment. Uh, but boy, where does this leave the team? What, what are your thoughts? What's what's going on over there? I think confident after the second half because it shows resiliency, right? The fact that you play so poorly in the first half, the tactics were disastrous to say the least, but I think it has a lot to do with, you know, personnel and tactics put together. It's not just a system. You know, I've, I've read a lot of comments on Twitter, which is the worst thing you can do during a, a U.S. Yeah. men's national team game. You know, everybody go, what? This 3-5-2 or a 3-4-3, what was he thinking? You know, it's a lot more than that. Uh, but the second half, I think, is a springboard uh, going forward because it does show that these young players have metal in them. And that was one of the questions, you know, did they have the sort of athleticism and attitude, um, the blue collar work rate of the old U.S. teams, you know, the kind that got us right. you know, pretty far in 2002. Um, so I think those questions have been answered, but there are a lot more that need to some answering. And. They start with Greg Berhalter and the team's identity and a system and a, and a starting 11 and what happens with McKinney. So although I think that there, you come out of this game feeling very positive because you've won in Honduras and that's no easy feat. Just right. look at the, the U.S. record. Uh, I think that you still have to figure out, you know, a lot of things before uh, – before anything really improves consistently. You know what hit me last night, especially the first half, here you have this, because I think that the guys did prove that they were fighters, uh, you know, coming up before this qualification period, um, you know, they had a good summer, but I got, I got a, I got a Klinsman hit last night because it was sort of, he was trying to impose a system on the guys to play to personnel, personnel that guys were being played at a position 
uh, didn't feel comfortable, pretty lackluster and lethargic. And then uh, they had, a, which they didn't have in the Klinsman era, they had a big turnaround in that second half. It seemed like you, you took the yoke off them, took the leash off them. But I think uh, a lot of players didn't play. Uh, De La Fuente didn't play. Um, there's, there's a lot of depth to this team, but what it doesn't, depth is great, but what doesn't happen is uh, cohesion as a team, as a unit. They, it doesn't seem like they're figuring each other out. Yes, and I think that's because there's been so much change to the lineup, uh, right? I mean, you're, you're missing some key players due to injury, Weston McKinney being one of them, not injury disciplinary issues. Uh, but, you know, let me say this. Uh, I, I think that, uh, and it's not exactly answering your question, but it's something that I do want to address. You know, I, I posted something, and I'll go back to Twitter, because this is, or it is the avenue through which we do so, so much communicating with other right. fans like us. And uh, I wrote something about Pepe's goal, you know, rising up in between two big burly center backs who had had most of the forwards in their pockets uh, uh, throughout a wonderful ball from Yedlin, who had been on the pitch, what, five minutes, a substitution that to many may have been a bit of a head scratcher when he came in, considering that Conrad was on the bench. And I thought he was pretty lively in the first half against uh, El Salvador. Um, and then I said, look, you know, he gets it wrong in the beginning. But you have to applaud or you have to give him credit, I think was the word that I used for for the second help, um, Greg Berhalter, that is, for his second half substitutions. Mm -hmm. And the amount of vitriol that I got, um, not directed towards me, but directed towards Greg Berhalter was dumbfounding uh, because I, I think that what it what it does is it suggests that. Some people still don't understand that soccer can be a complicated game sometimes. Right. The coaches do make mistakes in the beginning and that adjustments are very much a part of the 90 minutes. It's not like, you know, you got it wrong in the beginning and there can be absolutely no uh, credit given for, for all the adjustments that you make that are beneficial to the team in the second half. So, you know, when you look at Greg Berhalter, the disjointedness of the first half, the panic that you could tell had set in in the players. And yet he goes into that locker room, manages to calm down the players and make three quick changes that have an immediate impact. You have to commend the, the coach and think, you know what? Maybe he does know what he's doing. There are still some questions to be asked, mm -hmm. as I've already noted plenty of times. But look at the way he responded. Look at the way that he managed to galvanize or regalvanize these players after they played a very poor first half and looked completely out of sorts and intimidated by a very physical and direct Honduran national team. And look, hey, he's learning as well as they go along. So this is his first qualification period. And I tell you what, look, it's a it's a double-edged sword with the new soccer fans that are out there. Because a lot of the comments I see on Twitter, you don't want to alienate potential listeners. Um, but a lot of these comments somewhat sound, I'm sorry to say, naive. You can tell it's a person who hasn't played 90 minutes ever, hasn't played on the road. Um, hasn't traveled, you know, and it's, uh, it, it's sort of, they were thinking right when we won the two tournaments this summer, they were saying we're the greatest thing since sliced bread. We're a fantastic team. I'm kind of like, Whoa, hey, take it easy, you know, uh, relax everybody. And then they swung the pendulum to the other direction. So, uh, I mean, we saw a lot of players. We saw a lot of change. I think the big criticism with Burhalter was some of the subs that he didn't make, uh, in, in the, the Canada game, you know, yeah, oh, in El Salvador, game, yeah. right? Yeah, in Canada, uh, didn't make any till I think almost the 80th minute or something, and yet not enough time to have any impact. Yeah, uh, Sam, Sam, you go ahead. 
Uh, yeah, good to see you again, Crack. Uh, I just wanted to get your take. You mentioned um, Conrad De La Fuente already, but uh, he's, it seems like he's been kind of an enigma to the to the U.S. audience. You know, he's at Barcelona, and now he's at Marseille, so you've had a chance to see him a little bit uh, in the French League. And I, I agree with you. I thought he looked pretty good in the first half against El Salvador, and that it's kind of a type of player that we're missing, especially when we're playing against these you know, skilled, crafty uh, Central American teams and that that skill level is on display. Um, so I'm just curious what your take on him is and where you think he fits in the overall uh, scheme going forward. Well, I agree with you uh, when you said that he has sort of a skill set that isn't readily available uh, in a lot of other players in the U.S. national team. And at the beginning of this cycle, um, I was curious, uh, I, I was um Actually, a little bit confused would be the the, the correct word. Confused and curious would work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, days and confused. Uh, days and Greg, confused. That, uh, Greg Berhalter didn't think that the likes of Conrad De La Fuente and the players that he had available to him for that game, first game against El Salvador, didn't give the team much verticality. And you know, having called, uh, I think every single Marseille game this season, I can tell you with good confidence that that he can give you. A lot of verticality. Now, you you can uh, try and figure out whether he meant with the ball at his feet or is he a runner, you know, versus a guy who is just going to try and dribble past everybody, as you said, Sam. But I think that this is a guy who is very direct. He's very good on the dribble. He plays with audacity for his uh, young age. You can tell that he was schooled uh, in one of the the best football academies in, in the world because based on the on the few games that I've seen. He seems to be quite tactically adept as well. It is not easy to play for Jorge Sampaoli because he switches things up. There's a lot of positional interchanges, and yet he's been able to claim a first 11 spot for himself there. So I was a little bit surprised that he did not feature more against El Salvador considering the first half that he did have because it was completely disjointed, just like the first half yesterday. And yet when the ball landed at his feet, he calmed everything down and he took on uh, defenders. He was pulled very early in the second half. Uh, that surprise only grew when he didn't feature against Canada and again uh, yesterday. But it seems that Burhalter is bleeding him slowly and you know, learning to have confidence in the young player who I think will play a big part of the U.S. national team going forward. Real? Uh, crack, great having you back. Uh, just keeping it over in Europe for a minute. Well, first of all, um, you can explain to Flinny what verticality means uh, offline. I already um, looked it up. Yeah, I, I knew you'd be confused <laughs> by that one. But um, so I'm just curious, you know, here you are at, at BN, you guys lost La Liga and, and in doing so you lost Messi. But then like a gift from God, Messi lands in, the, in your back in your lap at PSG and Mbappe doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> I'm just curious, give us the sense of the vibe around being sports right now, where on a weekly basis, you get to continue to cover the world great, world's greatest player. Well, that's all a tribute to my negotiating. Of course. Exactly. <laughs> Crack I, mean, is, I can't tell you the hours I spent on the phone with Leonardo. That's why you didn't return my text. Do we do diligence and all <laughs> kinds of research. So uh, be it sports owes me so much. Um, <laughs> look, I, I think that, uh, Everybody's ecstatic, number yeah, one, yeah. because Lionel Messi decides to come to Liga, and what it does is it, you know, it draws a lot of attention, and people who wouldn't otherwise watch a PSG game or any game in Liga, for that matter, all of a sudden are watching uh, PSG. And I haven't really looked at the numbers 
uh, uh, in terms of viewership, but from my understanding, you know, PSG um, has gotten, which already got a lot of attention in this country, right? The numbers for PSG games are always very good, but they, they increased substantially um, in Rams, where he made his, his debut. So that's great news for the, for the network. Kylian Mbappe staying at PSG is an added bonus, uh, not only because he is one of the best players in the world and you, you want to you know, call his games, but because now he's going to be part of one of the potentially greatest attacking trios in world football, Neymar, Mbappe, yeah. and, and Lionel Messi. You know, we still talk glowingly about MSN, uh, uh, Messi, uh, uh, Suarez, and, and Neymar. We talk about Ronaldo, Benzema, and, and Bale, the, the, the B- BBC. Uh, so the opportunity to see another such attacking trident is, is mouthwatering. But I will say this. I think that the, the, uh, the sort of denigration that Liga is, tends to be a victim of, very much like Serie A, a as well, of being a farmer's league, is ridiculous. And it's a statement made by people, going back to Kevin, to the point that you made a few minutes ago about these new fans who are now on board with the U.S. national team, mm-hmm. who are naive, have probably never kicked the ball, and they have, if they have, they can't kick it very well, <laughs> and they don't really understand the game because it or is... Or with their toe. Oh, yeah, or with their toe. Although, <laughs> hey, listen, Romario... There's a toe poke, yeah. Romario scored some goals with his, uh, with his toe pokes, um, so, but he did it classily. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> um, so this is a very good league, and I'm glad that you have the likes of Messi to bring more attention to it, but even without him, and even with Mbappe, it is an excellent league to watch, uh, to call. Uh, you get to see a lot of, of the young talents who then are exported and become superstars in other clubs. Just look at Eduardo Camavinga, for example. You know, 18 years old, just made a 30 million euro move, cheap, uh, to Real Madrid because he was on his last year, the last year of his contract with Rennes. So you have a lot of these young players who come through Liga and then they get catapulted into bigger leagues and bigger teams. And everybody wonders, well, where did they come from? Well, they've been playing at a very high level in Liga. That's where they've been. Mm-hmm. Brings us yeah, back to yeah, Delaplante. Yeah, just, so that goes well. Just a quick follow-up on that, Craig, regarding Ligue 1. So it has a reputation for being a little bit more physical than La Liga, for instance. And I was just curious, is that a function of, you know, dirty players like, I'll call them dirty, like Paredes, or is it just a more physical brand overall? Of, of soccer, or is it more lenient officiating? What is, or is it a combination of all of that? I think it might be a combination of all of that, but I think we also have to remember that in Spain over the last 20 years, there's been a development of a more possession-based game that is stuck, right? Pep Guardiola comes in, uh, the, I hate saying this term, but the tiki-taka style of football asserted itself in Spain, while other leagues were more direct. Ligue 1 was one of those, and it continues to be a very direct league. Uh, yes, you have some major teams who have a lot of possession, uh, like PSG and, and Marseille and, and Lyon, but overall, you still have um, a swinging pendulum of football uh, in, in those Ligue 1 games, where it's very vertical, uh, to use that, that term again. Uh, and there's a lot of parity in, in the league. Uh, I know that people look at the record PSG's records and think, Oh, how can there be parody? You know, uh, PSG wins all the time. Well, they didn't win last season. And I don't hear that same discussion or that same criticism aimed at the Bundesliga when Bayern Munich wins every year. They always talk about how the Bundesliga is so competitive, 
Well, it's the same thing with Liga. Uh, PSG has just been an outlier because they have so much money. They've got deep, very deep pockets. So it's physical because it's always remained a fairly open league that doesn't base itself on possession principles. Um, and also, these guys are athletes, man. You've got mm -hmm. a lot of African diaspora in, in Liga. You know, guys who have come out of the Ivory Coast, guys who have come out of Burkina Faso, so on and so forth. Um, and they are just super athletic, uh, incredibly gifted, and they like to run, man. And it, it makes for a much better show. Liga mm -hmm. right now, I would say this season, along with the Premier League, has been the best league uh, to watch because it has been uh, rock and roll football. Lots of goals. Diaspora, verticality, trident. We are, I just am breaking out the dictionary this, this morning. Hey, um, you know, you've been a, a, a proponent of MLS and have had to defend it a bit in, in, on Twitter sometimes. And, you know, and you know the world's game so well. You cover all these games, uh, you know, and yet there you, you're, you defend it um, as, a, as a good league. What are your thoughts on that? It is a good league. Uh, it's already better than some European leagues. Um, and can we just remind everybody that it is still a league, not necessarily in its infancy, but not far from it. I mean, mm -hmm. 1990, years. 1996 is not that long ago when we talk about, uh, you know, footballing years. When we look at the, the top five or top six leagues in Europe, we're talking about leagues that have existed for over 100 years. That, that is a lot of time to develop, to, to, uh, to be, become rooted in the culture of a country. Uh, Major League Soccer has had to, to compete with the biggest sports in the United States and still has managed to make inroads. And look how much change there's been in the league in the last five, six years alone with the older veterans, you know, the veteran signings that, that the teams would bring over from Europe the Steven Gerrards, Frank Lampards, you know, Robbie Keynes, David Beckhams. And look at the kind of talent that the league is attracting right now. Zalarian at, at, at Columbus, for example. You had Almiron, who was then sold um, Newcastle. Yeah. To, to, to Newcastle. You got these young <clears throat> South American players who are now seeing Major League Soccer as a stepping stone for a bigger league. And that just shows how attractive MLS is. The stadium's are full, you know, forget about COVID for a second, but they're mm -hmm. full. The atmosphere, for the most part, if you take away, you know, the NYCFC and maybe the Red Bulls on, on most days, most weeks, the atmospheres are, are, are fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's a league that I think gets, gets uh, ridiculed for absolutely no reason, and it's just going to get stronger. And I'll make a statement here, just to, you know, I know I'm being long-winded, I think that in the next decade, and I've said this to my colleagues at BN, and some of them have laughed at me, I think in the next decade, Major League Soccer may be the most powerful league in, in the world. Uh, and part of that has to do with financial mismanagement in Europe. Right. And plus, people love to take shots at America for any reason at all. And then with soccer, that was the one thing that people had on us. You know, we were an underdeveloped nation in the soccer world, but uh, everywhere else we were leading the way. So it was... Uh, it's always tough. I always say like the U.S. players, my God, everybody acts like uh, we get criticized here in the States. And, you know, when you're when you go into Costa Rica or you go in somewhere else, it's like America's here. So uh, that's good. That's actually can, very positive. Yeah. Can I just say something? And it goes back to something, Kevin, you said before about, um, you know, uh, fans 
U.S. men's national team supporters being really hot on this team because there's so much mm-hmm. young talent that is playing abroad. You know, I, I think that, and this is related somewhat to the MLS conversation, we have a tendency to undervalue the quality of players in Major League Soccer, and then all of a sudden we overvalue, mm-hmm. and maybe overvalue is not the right term, these U.S. players who are playing abroad, and just because they play in big teams, you know, People think that they're going to come over here and dominate CONCACAF. Obviously, is not what happens because talent is one thing. You know, savvy is another. I think that we have to even out our perception of, of, of Major League Soccer and the talent that we have available to us uh, with the U.S. national team. There's a lot of potential there uh, that can right. allow the team to compete with some very big teams in the world. But it takes time. It, it takes cohesion. Um, you know, it takes good coaching. Uh, MLS, I think the one thing that we're starting to see is better coaches also coming into the league. So that's only going to improve uh, its quality. Yeah, you know, like, you know, you're almost talking about maybe like a Polisic example there because Polisic is a role player at Chelsea, a good one. He, he definitely contributes, does well, but he comes back to the States and we're looking for him to actually dominate a, a game like a Messi. Uh, and it's just unrealistic. So these young guys go over and play roles and they get great experience, but they're not, you know, they've got to come here and find some cohesion and find their roles here in a, in a you know, on a different team. Grail? Yeah, uh, Crack, I'd love you to put your La Liga cap back on because I know that you keep two side by side there. So uh, just in terms of Messi's departure, just curious what your feeling is about the lasting impact on the club, Barca, and on La Liga in general. Uh, That's a tough question to answer. Big blow, obviously. You know, a lot of people would watch Barcelona just because of Lionel Messi, and that's the sort of age of soccer that we're in. It's not about supporting teams so much as supporting stars right now. Look at, mm-hmm. you know, all the people who are now going to start following Manchester United again because Cristiano, right. Cristiano Ronaldo has left Juve. I think in the long run, this might be a good thing for La Liga. And, and that is because over the last few seasons, I think La Liga has been losing its footing in the top five leagues. Um, you're not seeing as many goals. Uh, in those in in La Liga games, which is problematic. In fact, the same uh, can be said about this season. You look at the top scoring leagues right now, and you've got Liga, Serie A, and the Premier League. Uh, you look at the amount of ball in play in the top five leagues, and La Liga is at the very bottom. It's too slow. Um, so I think that the powers that be in Spain are going to have to figure out a way to revolutionize uh, the league. And, and to, some, to some degrees, the national team is suffering as well, right? Mm-hmm. Very possession-based, very slow, and having a hard time dealing with more physical teams that happen to be very uh, direct. They just really got lucky that Sweden lost to, to Greece, and now they're back in first place in their uh, World Cup group. So there's a lot of individual talent there. There always mm-hmm. has been. They churn out incredible players. But I think they need to adjust their style of play. And as for Barcelona... Look, we know that the club is a mess financially. <laughs> say uh, the least. Oh yeah, to say the least. Uh, I think one of, one of the one of the things positive developments has been Memphis Depay's form and the sort of gravitas, uh, that air of gravitas that he has about him. You know, so no, he's not Lionel Messi, but this guy has arrived who is at the very pinnacle of his uh, of his form and abilities. 
He's getting it done for Barcelona. He's getting it done for the national team. So there's somebody that the, the Barcelona fans can coalesce around as a star on the team. You know, Grail, I think that goes back to your point that we talked about in the beginning, which is uh, you'd re- you want a confident player, not a cocky player. And I think Memphis mm-hmm. Depay has gone from being cocky to now having a confidence about his play. Um, and, and that's all about experience, like you say, mm-hmm. with, uh, with our young guys here in the States getting all this experience. And then Burhalter, you know, having to bring it all together and uh, come up with a system that's going to get us through this very difficult and arduous period, World Cup qualifying, which again, people don't understand how hard it is, all the machinations. Yeah, you, you know what? And to, and to, this, to that point, um, I, and, and, you know, Kevin and, and Grail, I know you will know this well. Sam, uh, Sam I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure because uh, I, I don't know your, your playing history. Sam's when, the 80-year-old sharecropper in the group. That's what he's got the soul of a... <laughs> now Sam, old... Sam played at Wesleyan and UMass. So he oh, could, that's... Yeah. Well, Wesleyan, good, good D3 school. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but I'm talking about playing even in, in New York City. And, you know, Kevin, I know you've done this and Grail, you have too, because Grail, I was on the pitch with you. <laughs> playing those games at Van Cortland Park oh, on those horrible grass fields covered in, in duck crap. And I can't help but be reminded of, of those games at Van Cortland Park when I see CONCACAF games. Because right. you can have super skilled players on the field at Van Cortland, or you could have back in those days. I'm talking about myself, of course. Here well, right yeah, no, right. Right. Uh, but, but when you play in those fields against very physical, burly dudes who just woke up, even after they spent you know Saturday night drinking themselves to death, and they're kicking yeah. your ass up and down those fields, and the ball bobbles everywhere. I mean, those are not the perfect scenarios to play games, and that is what I equate CONCACAF away games to. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because I and I say this younger generation of players don't quite always understand that because growing up in the 80s, uh, th- there were no fields. You're playing on a field that was a baseball field or a football field, uh, that that shitty hard turf, if you were lucky. Uh, and like you said, these really bad playing conditions where you can have a lot of skill, but when the ball's doing the old Texas chop on you, there's just it's like it's really tough. And I think. And I was down in Texas where a lot of these young players are coming out of and 12 year old kids are playing on these perfectly green pitches. It's, it's amazing. I'm like, Oh my God, I put my boots back on and get, get out there. Cause that's a beautiful field. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, you look at the Honduran players last night, those guys are used to playing on those shitty yeah. field conditions. They, they got it. That's, this is part of the package. It's not, uh, they're not spoiled at all. And like I said, at the end of the day, I'm glad the guys rallied in that second half. So we have some hope going into the next uh, round of qualification. Well, crack, we're, uh, we're big fans of yours. We uh, watch you every week and now we're going to see you more um, little league coverage on uh, being sports and, and uh, all things messy as messy goes, it all goes. So uh, thanks for joining us on over the ball, my friend. And look, you, we, I think we woke him up, guys, because he's he's on baby duty. He's off uh, he's off work for a little while. He's unshaven. He's got a trucker hat on. I'm waiting. Look for at the, I'm waiting for the Thomas Rongan jacket to come on <laughs> and crack one of these broadcasts. Come on, I can I can pull a lot of things off. I cannot pull that off. Thomas Rongan is on a level of his own when it comes to sartorial choices. <laughs> no doubt. Hey, but I, I got to tell you, you're looking good for a new dad. You know, you got the the babies uh, up all hours. I'm sure. Not not real new. What is it? Three? Two? No. Three? 
two and a half, but I got baby number two coming around the corner. So oh, where congrats. do you find the time? Where congrats. do you? There's too much soccer to have sex in my house. Tell you, I, no, <laughs> I still so. think of crack as being like 19 years old in my head perpetually. So the idea that this guy's got two kids is just makes me feel it's really amazing. old. Oh, I, I wish. I wish I were 19 years old. <laughs> All right. Crack, thanks for joining us. Over the ball. We'll talk to you again, my friend. Thanks, guys. All right, guys, always great to talk to Crack. I could uh, talk to him forever about footy. So he, uh, he's got all those televisions and all those uh, the big satellite probably down there being sports command center so he can watch everything. You know, I could always tell this about Crack as my former Manhattan kickers teammate. He just knew the game inside and out. You'd have conversations with him kind of off the pitch and you were like, wow, this guy really knows his stuff. So it's great that he's found the right place for himself. You know, I think one thing that jumps out at me, you know, with all this like criticism of other leagues that you're not into following and everything, it's just, I think that has a lot to do with how much there is to watch, right? Mm -hmm. It's so overwhelming. You simply can't get to everything. So the easiest thing to do is just say like, it doesn't interest me or I don't care um, or it's not any good. So yeah, and, I, and I, Twitter I, is just a sinkhole of hate. And, you know, again, as you got, as you pointed out, Flinny, it's always the, the guys that are, are the women who never played who are the most vocal. Yeah, and they sound look, I've I've sat in some of the MLS stadiums and God, what some people yell, it's just the most clueless stuff I've ever heard in my life. I, I know it's just, you know, kick it out of there. The, the shit we heard in the 80s, you know. So uh yeah. <laughs> God. So hey, anyway, so talking about some great games coming up, Champions League, uh group stage draw, um, you know, Man City PSG in group A, some nice uh, matchups there. Atletico, Liverpool, AC Milan in group B. Dortmund, Ajax, Group C, Inter Milan, Real Madrid, and D, Bayern Munich, and Barcelona, E, Manchester United, and uh, Atalanta, and Villarreal, um, Group F, Lille, and and Salzburg, and G, and Chelsea, and Juventus in Group H. So a lot of fun matchups that we have coming up. uh, So next week, we've got Bayern, Barca, I believe, on the 15th, which should be great, because this this is kind of, as uh, Crack was talking about, kind of the new version of Barca. So let's see how they can match up against Bayern. And this weekend we get to watch uh, Ronaldo. Yeah. I, so what's the over-under on how quickly the shirt comes off if there's a goal scored? I give it 10 seconds. Uh, well, I, that's saying there, that he'll score this week. There, you think yeah, he's I, score? I think he will. Yeah, but I – No, so I'm saying his shirt will come off if he scores, but uh, will he score? And who's going to take the penalty as we kind of talk to crack offline about about Is it it going to be uh, Fernandez, who's the go-to guy? The guy is like a 99.9%. I would leave it to them. I would leave it to them. I'll tell you that. All right, Sam, what do you got for us today? Uh, Yeah, well, first of all, there's a couple of good City A games this weekend, if anyone's at all interested. Um, Napoli Juve at noon. (laughs) Don't have that attitude. We're there. there. Sam, you're going to be going, you're returning to your Paramount Plus Thing no, with uh, Syria, where are you going? I've, where are you I've moved on and uh, I, I can't explain it. So, uh, <laughs> Napoli Juve noon Saturday on Paramount. Uh, McKenney's nice. supposed to start for Juve on that one, so that should be interesting. And then Atalanta Fiorentina later that afternoon at 2:45, also on Paramount, should be a good game. Uh, Fiorentina's nice. actually started the season really well. Uh, I got a really, Dude. really quick quiz for you. It comes, Dude, it sounds from- like you got to be a Paramount customer because that's you know, you get your Serie A games and that's CBS. I guess. By the way, that's Sam, CBS. just a quick reference how about when Crack talked about uh, ball and play stats? Was that mm-hmm. he referenced? I was, that? I, was like, I was like, I thought of Sam immediately. Because I was in the middle of a Sam quiz. quiz. That's yeah. yeah, yeah, I was a couple of weeks ahead, but yeah. yeah. 
Uh, all right. So this is from the SPI soccer power index rankings from 538, which gives every club team kind of in the world. I mean, as long as you're in the top couple divisions, uh, a rating out of 100. Um, okay. And so I want to look at the impact of both the Messi and the Ronaldo moves. So the first question is PSG on August 15th had an SPI rating of 85.7 out of 100. What is it today since adding Messi to the roster? I'm going to say 92. I'd say 92 as well. That's what the number I was coming Okay, 85.1. So it's gone down oh, by 0.6. I don't believe that. Okay, Man United on August 23rd were also at 85.7. Since adding Ronaldo to the team, what has their uh, index number changed 82 it. i'm going up again i'm gonna go slightly yeah i'm gonna go to 87 85.2 that also wow. fell by 0.5 points so the uh the stats crowd is not too convinced by these moves it seems like wow that's that's surprising i mean i wouldn't say you know 10 percent lift but i'd certainly say a little bump oh, even we'll you know look at it, it to crack hours point you know about ronaldo and then uh you know linking up with cavani and and uh, yeah. Bruno Fernandez. I'm telling you, you could you go back to your penalty kick question. I'd say leave it between those two guys because they're teammates in Portugal. And you got to be careful with that stuff because it's team unity and leadership and all that respect and all, so many factors. So yeah. who, are, who are Man United playing this weekend? They're playing Newcastle at they're home. They're playing Newcastle. At, at Old Trafford, okay. yeah. Okay. I mean, I just, you know, we've always talked about this, but I see Messi as being much more of a facilitator who can involve more guys. And Ronaldo is a guy that demands the ball. Right. So it's just very different types of players. So if he's not getting the ball up there, like in the first couple of weeks, he's not going to be a happy number seven. <laughs> all right. So we got a lot to watch this weekend. Is yes. that it, Sam? Is that all you got? That was a small quiz this week. Nice. Yeah, just, just a quick one. Yeah. A nibble. Crack hour, crack hour wore me out with the trident and the verticality. Oh, gosh. You just you, you, you go take an Advil. I just blanked out. It was like doing a math problem for God's sake. <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, that's all the time we have today. And over the ball, uh, good things for the U.S. national team finally at the end of that whole uh, first round of qualification. So uh, you know, let's hope that we kind of have ended this uh, this in a positive note. My God, because uh, we're all we're all going. Even even Sam's hair was turning gray. Grail. So uh, all right, everybody. For over the ball, I'm Kevin Flynn for Grail Hallett and Sam Griswold. We'll talk to you next time on O T B.